How's everybody doing this morning? Hopefully you're up. Adam, I have a little bit of coffee going down the hatch this morning. Uh, I'm going to take another little sip of mine here. Grab yours. Let's have a little sip together. Mmm, that certainly helps. A little froggy here still. Well, yeah, I knew, but he had a special handle he was going by here. And I thought, was it, was it Maggie? Uh, talking to Priscilla here, uh, I knew it was Steve, but uh, the friend, he, he was going by a cute handle, and I just don't remember what it was. That's it, Maggie Joplin. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah. So tell 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 Maggie we, we've missed seeing her here, unless she's been here. He's been here. This is kind of fun, actually. So, um, 
We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We started it yesterday. We'll finish it this morning. Uh, it may or may not be uh, a, a full half-hour broadcast. We will see. Yeah, when he wakes up, just let him know that we miss him. We love him. Love you guys uh, down there in Reedville, Virginia. Uh, so we started 1 Corinthians 13 yesterday. We will wrap it up today. It may or may not be a full half-hour. We will see how it goes <clears throat> This is the operating system that Jesus has given us uh, for functioning in the church. We're to exercise our gifts. Uh, we'll exercise our gifts. I just had somebody ask a question. The question is, does that coffee taste better out of a Steelers cup? This week it does because we won. So it does taste better this week. And uh, so, uh, anyway, sorry for those listening uh, via podcast a little bit later on, having a little bit of fun with the live audience here at 6 o'clock this morning, the 30th day of November. Uh, Love is the operating system. Jesus told us that we are to... uh, we are to operate uh, in love. We can do all kinds of things. And Paul, we'll, we'll, we'll re, uh, rehearse this again. Uh, we'll review this again out of the entire chapter here, First Corinthians 13. But uh, you know, we can do all kinds of great things, have all kinds of great thoughts, take all kinds of phenomenal positions on topics and subjects. But if we fail to operate in love, then we fail. And sometimes that can be a challenge. Sometimes we, we want to be angry. Sometimes we want to be mad. Those are, I guess, the same thing. But but we want to be. Uh, uh, mad might be when we begin to froth at the mouth a little bit. We want to be, and we feel entitled to be and whatnot. But, but Jesus would say, ah, no, I don't think so. If anybody could have had reason to froth at the mouth and be angry, it certainly was Jesus. Um. And the Apostle Paul, in certain measure, not far behind the Lord Jesus, but they didn't. They operated in love. So as we serve in our local churches, as we live our lives on this sod, uh, we are uh, admonished to do so in the love of God. And I concluded yesterday's broadcast looking at Romans chapter 5, where it says that the, the, the love of God is shed abroad or poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Our A number one priority is to stay connected with Jesus. That's the A number one priority. And if we will stay connected with Jesus, we can be like Jesus. And if we stay connected with Jesus, very intentionally connected, remaining in Him, in him and remaining in his love, then it will be much easier for us to live in this operating of system that we have been given called love. 1 Corinthians 13, from the top, uh, I'm in the NIV 84, just to rehearse what we looked at yesterday. Uh, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I possess, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Those three verses, I think, are very potent verses because they tell us we can do all these phenomenal spiritual things, but if we don't have love, it really counts for nothing. So he continues then with a definition uh, or a description of what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And that's where we stopped yesterday. I said, I, I believe that the verse... The beginning of verse 8 should have been the conclusion of verse 7, but whoever did the numbering system, for whatever reason, chose that point to uh, begin verse 8. All that love is, all that love does, and, and oftentimes we will hear a passage like this at a wedding, and it fits there as well. But the intent of this verse is for living the Christian life in the body of Christ. It is the intent uh, for the Christian life, living out our spiritual gifts. It is the intent for the for the Christian life, living in this world, to live in the love of God. And interestingly, and I, I don't believe I said this yesterday, the word for love in this section of Scripture is the word agape, uh, some you would hear it said sometimes agape, and that's how I've always said it. But uh, I've been around some friends more recently, especially in England. Uh, agape is how they say it. So, uh, but the agape, I'll say it that way. Uh, love is the love of God. It's a love that that, that source is God. It's it's uh, a love that that springs from God. It's it's a love that streams from God into us. It's a love that gets channeled through us by the Holy Spirit. It is God's love. This is not simply the phileo love, which is brotherly kindness, just being nice and kind to each other. This this is the most robust, the, the fullest of the loves in the agape love. There are three or four words for love that you would read in the New Testament, in the Greek language. We, we, and this again points to the weakness of translation, we translate all of them as love. However, there are four different words, and, and this, this section of the word is agape, uh, and that is what we're talking about. In fact, let me show you here. I'll bring up the King James Plus Put that over so you can see. This is a great Bible tool. This is the eSword Bible app, uh, Bible program that that I use here. And the King James will use the word charity. But here you see it, agape, agape, love, affection, benevolence, Uh, and it goes on and talks about charity, speaks of love feast, dear love, and that that's just giving us the root word agape. In every place you, you read down through here, the word love, or in the King James, charity, it's going to be agape. 
And we are called to live in that kind of love for one another. Yesterday, we looked at all the descriptors or the factors uh, that uh, are evident when there is agape love flowing through our lives. When we looked at verse 4, and it said, it is patient, it is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, not easily angered. It doesn't say it never gets angry, but not easily angered. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. We talked yesterday about the importance of forgiveness. It doesn't delight in evil. And the idea of delighting in evil that he's referencing here is sometimes we feel good when something bad happens to somebody. And it doesn't delight in that. Not at all. Uh, let me use an example from the news today and the last six weeks or so. In fact, nearing almost two months now in what is happening in Israel. Uh, Love doesn't gloat uh, over the destruction of Hamas. Now, yes, we want to see terrorism thwarted and stopped, um, and most likely it's going to come about only by the destruction, which means the killing of uh, the Hamas leaders and uh, Hamas fighters. but love doesn't feel good about it. Uh, or if someone does something to you and something something bad to you, and then something bad happens to him, love doesn't feel good. Oh, they got what they deserve. <laughs> We're so happy that they're finally getting what they deserve. No, that's not love. Uh, love would feel badly for them, uh, but that's not love. So love does not delight in evil, uh, but rejoices with the truth and as it says here in the passage, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love needs to keep on pressing on. Uh, Sometimes you can become weary in love. Uh, Sometimes you say, how many times are I going to have to forgive that person? Could be your spouse. Uh, Could be your children. It could be your parents. Uh, It could be a co-worker. It could be how many times? And someone asked Jesus one time, I believe it was Peter, "How, how often do we have to forgive? And Jesus said, in, in the most one of the most often translated uh, sections or, or verses, he says seventy times seven. That's four hundred and ninety times. You know, by the time you get to four or five or six times, you're not really keeping count anymore, other than to say this keeps happening. Jesus seems to indicate when he's asked that question, "How often do I forgive?" Again and again and again and again and again and again and again. That is how often we forgive someone who wrongs us. Now, continuing on to the passage, we pick up in verse 8. It says, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Now, it's interesting that people who point to this particular verse as the one for what is called cessationism, in other words, the ceasing of the what, what what are often classified as the sign gifts like prophecy or tongues or the interpretation of tongues or healings or miracles. Uh, some will classify those as sign gifts no longer necessary for today. Well, that, that's true perhaps in English-speaking countries where we have translations of the Bible. That may be true in non-English-speaking countries and, and places where we have translations of the Bible. 
but it may not be true in places where they do not have Bibles. And uh, so uh, that is a pushback that I give to that particular persuasion. I, I think they're less necessary in places like America or like the West where we have Bibles, uh, but I do not rule them out. I, but the, some will point again to this word in verse 8 where there are prophecies, they will cease, and they will say they have already ceased. They're already done for today. They're not happening today. And it's interesting to me that at the conclusion of verse 8, it also says this, where there is knowledge, it will pass away. It is concluded, it is included, not concluded, it is included in the same verse. What is knowledge? Knowledge is all this teaching that people like me do. So it, it runs the course within the confines of the same verse as uh, as prophecies and as tongues. And now some would do some real good somersaults over this to, to say, well, really, where you see the uh, semicolon there in the verse, that's, that's a change up in thought. Well, wait. There's an earlier semicolon, and oh, for the record, they didn't have punctuation in the Greek. Again, three views, three predominant views. The gifts are fully uh, at work today is one view. Uh, the second view, which is the moderate view, is uh, the gifts, especially the sign gifts, may or may not be uh, active today. Uh, and then the third view is what is called the cessationist view, that, that all of those sign gifts have ended for today. I take the middle view. Uh, that is where I land. And, and there's a lot of study, and, and frankly, there's a lot of debate about those things. And uh, I, I don't want to debate. Um, I, I want to make disciples. That's what I want to do. Uh, I would give cautions uh, where we see sign gifts uh, being promoted much more than than what does the rest of the Word of God say. And sometimes you will see preaching that uh, that doesn't stem out of the Word of God. It might stem out of a verse. And I've watched some preachers of a more Pentecostal persuasion that will begin with a verse and always end up talking about seed sowing or always end up talking about words of faith uh, when those things aren't even a part of the text. Uh, so th- there is a caution that is there. But there can also be a caution for those of us who are knowledge teachers, that sometimes we can teach so much knowledge that there's no action. We need to bring the two together, and, and God wants there to be action. Now, let's pick up in verse 9. He says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Now, what's he talking about? Perfection comes. That is when all things are concluded. That's when all things are consummated. That is when, when Christ returns. That is when he makes all things perfect. Again, cessationists would say, many have already ceased. But what I can tell you is that when heaven happens or when the, the kingdom on earth happens, there, there will likely not be the need of any of these things at all because everything will then be made perfect. And that's what he's saying in verse 10, that when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Our teaching is imperfect. 
tongue speaking is imperfect. Prophesying is imperfect. Uh, serving uh, is is imperfect. It's incomplete because it's never done. We, we we always need to keep serving. There is coming a day when when Christ will make all things perfect. Verse eleven, Paul says, "When I was a child, I talked like a child." I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now, the, the, the question is, do we still continue to act like children? I know some Christians that continue to act like children. Uh, some Christians that, that uh, you know, they, and this would have been me, uh, wanting the word of faith. Uh Wanting now, I, I know uh, we have dear, dear people who are part of our family. I say our family; I mean this this broadcast family, our church family, that come from more of a word of faith type background. Uh, sometimes we we view things incompletely from that vantage point, and yet, in fairness to those folks who come from a word of faith vantage point, they sometimes will look at those of us who come at things more from the knowledge piece and say, well, you guys are incomplete too. And you know what? It's right. They're right. Uh, we need to be exercising our faith. We need to be living in faith. We need to be trusting God um, and, and no longer acting like children, thinking like children, reasoning like children, but to understand the ways of Christ, to live in the way of love. And the way of love, for me, is I can embrace my Pentecostal brothers and sisters. And do I maybe have my concerns? Yes. But they would look at me and go, you know, Pastor Jim, I've got my concerns about you. Are you really living in faith? And sometimes I'm really not. Uh, and we need to bring that all together. I personally think that God has given us many different expressions of the church because God knows that our wiring is different, and God knows that different people need different types of expressions. And and the childish way is to say, well, everybody just needs to have this expression. No, I, I don't think so. Uh, everybody needs to be fully reformed, five-point reformed person. I don't think so. Uh, there are some people who just die in that environment. Um and to my reformed friends who feel so strongly that way, I, I I apologize on the one hand, but but also I, I encourage you to to not think in such limited fashion. Paul said this again in this passage. He says, uh, "When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child." Let's be more complete, more comprehensive, more more full in our understanding and operate in the way of love, which is the way of Jesus, just for the record. Paul tells us that now we see a poor reflection is in a mirror. It's like a mirror that's a foggy mirror. Uh, or it's like a mirror that, uh, and some of you lady folk would appreciate this, and, and me as, as a man with a bearded man, uh, sometimes the lighting just isn't quite right in the bathroom. Now we, We've got good lights in our bathroom, but sometimes you need light that that reflects differently onto the mirror so you can see how to put your makeup on. I, I do not wear makeup. I might have rosy cheeks, but those are natural rosy cheeks. 
Uh, there's no 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 blush on my face. Uh, but sometimes trimming the beard and things like that, it's like I, I need light coming from a different direction. We don't always see things perfectly um, looking into the mirror. Or when you get out of the shower and, and maybe your mirror has all fogged up, uh, you, know, you, you know it's there, you can see the mirror, but you really can't see perfectly. We don't see perfectly now. We don't see comprehensively now. But what he does say in verse 12 is this. There's a coming a day when we will see Jesus face to face. There's coming a day when we will see each other face to face in his fullness. And so Paul concludes, even now I know in part. And this is Paul, the, the, perhaps the greatest theologian to ever live. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In the meantime, he concludes, verse 13, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. We are called to live in hope, the hope that God holds out to us. How do we ascertain hope? It is by faith, by trust, exercise faith. We need to exercise faith. We need to exercise trust in God. But in the midst of all this, love, love is the capstone. Uh, love love is the greatest of these. Uh, love is what makes them all worthwhile. We, we have faith because of the love of God. We have hope because of the love of God. Uh, and, and the love of God is, is given to us in like ocean waves given to us. And, and we are called now to uh, share those waves of God's love with those around us. Now, it's easy to share love with somebody that you like, but sharing love, being loving to somebody that is hard to love, that requires a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we are called to that kind of love. Can we love in that way? Let me ask you a question. Are you operating in hope today? Consider the hope that Christ holds out to you and Seize hold of hope. That grab the rope of hope and hold right onto it. How do you grab the, the the rope of hope? By faith. Why do you grab by faith the rope of hope? Because of God's love that you know is so vast and so immeasurable and so good. May we be people who operate within the body of Christ in faith, in hope, in love. May we be people who operate in this world in faith, in hope, and in love. May we be people who humbly acknowledge we don't completely understand it all. Uh, let's not be those Christians that, that believe, oh, we have it all figured out, because we don't. And let's live in love. Father, hear our prayer today to live in your love. Lord, where we need faith, strengthen our faith. Where we are feeling desperate, strengthen our hope. Make us aware of your immeasurable love and cause us to reflect that love to others today. The glory of Jesus. Amen. Have a great day, friends. We will see you tomorrow.